0: Happy Family Sunday. It is a delight to have you six to 11-ish year olds in here with us this morning. I'd like to tell you guys first a story from when I was about your age. It's a story I'm not that proud of. Now, believe it or not, when I was your age, we did have video games back then, Uh, They were nothing like the Xboxes of today, whose controller has 11 buttons, two joysticks, and a directional pad. We had two buttons and a few arrows to work with. Now, my favorite game on the original Nintendo was Super Mario Bros. 3. This was the cream of the crop. It was simple by today's standards, but it still took me a really long time to beat this game only five or six when it came out. But beat it I did. At which point, as a surprise to me, a bunch of prizes were released to me within the game itself to make the next time that I played the game so much more fun. Now, my older brother and his friend had been waiting all day for this Super Mario Brothers 3. So when I beat the game, In his exuberance, my brother's friend hit the reset button on the Nintendo, erasing my hard-won bounty of digital prizes. I was shocked, angry, offended. Now, I knew it was a mistake, but I didn't care. I uh, I consciously remember making the decision to do what we call in our household, pitch a fit, scream and shout about it. I remember I called my mom, and I was focused only on having been wronged, and eventually my older brother was forced to play the whole thing again for me so that I would have those prizes again. (laughs) I think it only took him about an hour or so to beat it. Now, I got what I wanted. I won, but the win did not feel very good. I got back what I had lost, but in the process, I did not treat my gentle, kinder, older brother very well. I treated him like he was only good for getting me what I wanted. Now, the Bible calls this having a hard heart. We heard about this in our readings from this morning, and the worst part is, kids, it's not just kids that do this. Kids and adults alike treat people like they don't really matter. Now, maybe you've been treated this way before. It doesn't feel very good, does it? This is why God promises to give us a new heart, one that doesn't tend to do these things. So not only would you treat other people with kindness that they deserve, but that you would treat God with the kindness that he deserves. Much like my kinder older brother at the time, God is waiting patiently for us. And you can ask for a new heart, kids. Right now, even, you can ask for a new heart. I'll say a prayer for us, and if you would like, you can pray right along with me in that. And if you do, make sure to tell your parents about it, okay? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much and for having a soft heart towards us. We pray that you would give us a soft heart towards you. That you would show us how to love you better and better. That you would show us and how to love each other better and better. Amen. God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. This is a quote from a woman called Jackie Pullinger, who at the age of 21, having become a Christian, took the cheapest boat possible from arriving in the walled city, Hong Kong. Refugees fled China's cultural revolution in the mid 20th century, and this 6.4 acre mash of high rises would go on to hold 50,000 people. Now rule of law was entirely absent here, Drug lords, gangs, provided any semblance of predictability. But Jackie went there and spent about half a century there and are part of what led her. She chronicles this in her autobiography called Chasing the Dragon. Go get it and read it. It's a really good good read. But what's always captivated me about this, her saying, is, uh, is the implicit power of a soft heart Which drove her into the dregs of the world in the name of Jesus, and the potential power of a hard heart that might have prevented her or others from doing that. Now we don't have to be a super missionary or a super Mario Brothers player to recognize the problem of a hard heart and to see how difficult it is to maintain a soft one. Jackie Pullinger recognizes a central truth of the Bible that we see in our readings from this morning, that having a soft heart is God's greatest desire for us, his gospel desire for us. And we see this reflected as we read not only from the Old Testament, but also from the New Testament today. And so in this way, this morning, we will be encouraged to avoid a hard heart, to guide a soft heart, and to receive a new heart. To avoid a hard heart, to guide a soft heart, and to receive a new heart. First, avoiding a hard heart. How in the world do we do this? I think we have to step back and remind ourselves a little bit that God has always been focused on the heart. Why do we have to remind ourselves? Because God, in leading us to avoid a hard heart, cares about more than our outward actions, more than appearances, As Christians, we so often make the assumption that when we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we're making a stark shift from law to faith, from works to grace, from being focused on rule following to being focused on heart change. Now, there's a degree of truth in these things, but not in the way that we tend to imply whichever one of those dichotomies you tend to prefer, we implicitly accuse God of changing horses midstream. The rules didn't work, and so God needed to start working on our hearts or something like that. It's like we pit the two things against each other, the law and the heart. But listen to God's real concern from our Old Testament reading today in Deuteronomy in verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. The topic at hand here is the use of our money for good, making sure that nobody in the land remains in poverty. Lend seriously if anybody in God's people is in need and asks you for help, you must lend. Why? On one level, it's because God's people had been given everything that they had. God himself was opening his hand to this people. We heard a phrase in our passage, the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is used 23 times in the whole book of Deuteronomy, and it's God's way of reminding his people that they had been given so much. Go and do likewise. When I pushed to my mom about the deleted Super Mario Brothers prizes, it would be like if my mom replied this way, Michael, remember that this is the Nintendo that Deborah, your mother, has given to you. Do not treat your brother in an ungenerous way. Remember, be- before this, you had no Nintendo. So recall generosity with those you are around or something like that. Because of God's own generosity towards them, the law reminded them how to be generous people of God in the very land they had been given. And so they were given this law, this regulation, to maintain economic generosity and fairness throughout the land because that is something that God cares deeply about. So that's on one level. But on another level, we see that God's primary concern under the law specifically here in this law for generosity, is the heart itself. What is the heart? Nicky Gumbel, head pastor of Holy Trinity Brompton in London, and the launcher of the Alpha Course, explains it this way. He says, the Hebrew understanding of the heart included the emotions, but it also the conscience and the will. I think I'm going to switch over to the podium mic just so I'm not cutting out. Are we good? All right, we're good. In other words, Nikki Gumbel says, the heart means everything that is going on inside of you. While God does care about how his people follow the rules, as it were, God never cared primarily about rule following. He cares about everything that is going on inside of you, your heart, it would not remain hard but would be soft how do we see this in our text we see it in how moses continues to push this law down into the intricacies of the heart the conscience the mind the emotions the will the heart is utterly complex and intricate but however intricate the heart might be moses seems determined to speak to it in this passage take a look at verse 9 moses has a follow-on to this first law. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release, is near. Now here we're already into a deeper level, the thought world. Now this is more than mere outward obedience, which is what we so often assume about the law. It's just what you do on the outside. And it speaks to a specific outward expression of a hardened heart. How it might respond to this call to lend generously. The the temptation would be to get stingy in the year that you got. Every seventh year was a sabbatical for the whole land where all the debts given and received would be canceled. This was a hard reset in the people of God for the sake of avoiding generational poverty. Now, the reason one might get stingy is because the closer you are to that seventh year, the less likely you are to get much of your money back. And then the person in front of you all of a sudden becomes a money pit more than a human. But God's law is familiar with the heart, foresees this response, regulates against the hard-hearted reaction of trying to find a loophole. Our hearts are hardened Because the world is broken. And so Moses' specificity in pushing the law down is God's grace in and through the law. He helps us to avoid a hard-hearted response and counter-response. When the brokenness of the world pushes in on us, I think we can all appreciate how difficult it is to avoid every pitfall or how easy it is to harden our hearts. What is a hard heart, really? A hard heart is obstinance to God's will, which usually manifests in how we treat other people. Now, throughout the Old Testament, a hard heart, that phrase was used to describe somebody who is stubborn towards God. So primarily, this is a vertical reality, so to speak, but it has horizontal implications. And God's will is not arbitrary. It's not this set of random boundaries that are put on us disconnected from reality. Rather, it's a specific and consistent outworking of who God is and how he originally created the world to work. God's will flows out of his original design, which valued humankind most preciously created in God's image. And so when we are obstinate to God's will, and we're going against the fabric of creation, our hearts are often so hardened to the point of not being able to see and value the people who are right in front of us, who are always utterly valuable human beings. We dehumanize them as a hardened response. We see an obstacle, not a person. Now, there are so many ways that we are tempted towards this in everyday life. It's not for nothing that in all of our readings today, we have some semblance of conversation around money. It's a great diagnostic, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can follow your money back to, what is that saying about where your heart is? So let's stick with the theme. Each time you're on the street and somebody walks up to you and asks you for money, what goes on inside of you? If you're anything like me, You might at least be tempted by the bevy of opportunities to harden your heart. We might try to find some way to blow them off quickly and move on. They are in the way of your plans for the evening, of your sense of rights and ownership of what you have, or in the way of your concern for what other people think about you. But we can just as easily harden our hearts towards them a buck so that they'll get out of your way. Notice that whatever the outward response is, the heart might be able to either betray or confirm whether it acted out of a hardness or whether you have seen, listened to, valued this person as created in God's image who is in front of you. Have we valued our money, our time, our reputation, our plans over the people who are right in front of us? Day, our heart is tugged on by opportunities to become hardened because the world is broken. Our own hearts may be broken. So often I find that we can even turn that brokenness on ourselves. We might be tired of the patterns that we've allowed to rule us or the deficiencies that we feel like define us. And we can't recognize our own worth, our own valuable createdness. God's law is meant to help us avoid becoming hardened. But it cannot possibly regulate every one of these kinds of moments and feelings. This is why Moses goes on to reveal even more of the purpose of the law as he pushes it down even further. Look in verse 10 how he says, you shall give to him freely. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Moses is beginning to move beyond merely avoiding a hard heart and into guiding what it looks like to have a soft one. So that's point two. How do we guide a soft heart? The opposite of a hard heart is a soft one. And this is, at its core, what God's desire is for us. What is a soft heart? A truly soft heart is one that is beyond regulations, however intricate they might be. This is because a soft heart offers itself in every moment to the Lord and listens for what a humanizing and soft-hearted response would be to the person in front of us or to the person inside of us. The great diagnostic question, where have you treated somebody as merely a problem to be fixed or an obstacle to overcome? When have you told yourself that you are a problem rather than a unique gift that the Lord has created? God longs to lead you into the softer heart. For example, sometimes when I ask one of my boys, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old boy, sometimes when I ask my boys to do something, I get a response like this, <clears throat> ugh, fine, It leave something to be desired. Ultimately, what I want for my kids is not just that they do what I ask, nor is it just that they do it with a bit more respectful of a voice. Ultimately, I long for them to engage me in an emotionally honest assessment of the heart, offering their hearts to me, what they're thinking, feeling, hoping, feeling bad about, all of it caught up in this relationship that I have with them, and to the degree that we sell our kids short in their capacity to do this, I think that is oftentimes our own parental hardening of hearts towards them. Our kids can do this in an age-appropriate way. This is what God longs for from us, that we maintain a soft heart, offering ourselves first towards him. None of this, "uh, oh, fine, business, though sometimes that may be the best that we can offer but ultimately, the goal is that we would find ourselves in a place of vulnerability and openness to the Lord, who loves us. Only then can we begin to turn our hearts horizontally, so to speak, and see the value in others, taking care to observe our own thoughts, emotions, conscience, and will, and talk with God about them. This is the high highfalutin word, prayer. That's what prayer is, talking with God about where you are, where your heart is. In this way, the law is imperfect. It cannot change the heart, but it can guide it. I like to think of the law as scaffolding for the heart. It's providing some kind of structure while work on the heart is being done. This scaffolding guides God's people along the path towards a soft heart. That's kind of like what Seth talks about so often. Sometimes we need to let our actions lead our hearts. The law points the way, providing structure and support, but it only serves as what Paul calls a guardian to the heart until Christ comes. God has always longed for more than a well-regulated heart. He desires a soft heart turned towards him. And this requires an awakening that the most robust of God's laws cannot bring about and was actually never intended to, which brings us to our third point, receiving a new heart. Now, towards the very end of the Old Testament, we hear a very important promise that God makes. A couple of prophets put it succinctly. Jeremiah says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. The law coming into our hearts Ezekiel agrees poignantly, and he says, I will remove the heart of stone, a hard heart, from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Even from the perspective of the Old Testament, the law was not enough. God knows that we could not hope to self-soften our hearts. The world is too broken. Our hearts are too complex. The good news here is that God's heart is eternally soft towards us. He is always extending his hands open to us, willing to give us this new heart that we need so that we might be made soft towards him. Listen to how this plays out in our New Testament reading today as Paul describes a particularly soft-hearted community. So these are, this is the Macedonian church uh, had been asked to give money for the struggling church in Jerusalem and then they themselves fell on hard times. Here's what Paul says. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, begging us earnestly for the privilege. If ever we should determine that a soft heartedness is a luxury for only certain people, that only certain people can afford, We need to allow the joy of this severely afflicted church to challenge us. The Macedonian churches had every reason to harden their hearts and to not give towards the Jerusalem church. The Jewish background Christians didn't even want the Gentiles as a part of this new movement. Paul himself was worried that even when he brought all of this money given to the Jerusalem church, they wouldn't receive it because it's from Gentiles. Also, the Macedonian churches didn't have much money of their own. Paul was worried about them having given too much and putting themselves in a bad spot. They also had their own issues, just like in Jerusalem. uh, The authorities were bearing down on them, persecuting them. But their hearts were powerfully soft. And Paul points out the pattern of a soft heart as he goes on. The Macedonian churches gave themselves first to the Lord, Then by the will of God to us. You see the pattern of a soft heart here. Paul would go on to explain how we can possibly understand this strange wealth of generosity from a church in extreme poverty that their joy was abundant. Listen to Paul's answer to this in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. The richness that Paul speaks of here is the new heart that God promised. It is a heart that is now alive and softened to the Lord, because it is at, the very, uh, it is at its very core the heart of Jesus, Son of God, who perfectly offered his heart to the Lord in his life. And then in his ministry, he would walk around, humanize, and awaken the world around him. Though Jesus had every reason to harden his heart towards us, he did not. He opened his hands generously to us, giving us his very life so that he might live within us, guiding us in a soft heart from within. This is the end, the telos, the finish line of the law, to guide our hearts towards God until he awakens in us this new heart through Jesus. If you call Jesus Lord and friend, then you have a new heart. No longer does the broken world draw the tendency of your heart towards hardness. Rather, the heart of Christ within you guides our tendencies towards softness we will not be perfect in this until we're with Jesus again, face to face in the new heavens and the new earth, which is why we are participants in this. And we need to hear the invitation from our gospel passage today, actually. And I'll close with this. We have an amazing parable of God's invitation for us in this unique time, one that we all need to hear I won't recount the whole story from our gospel, but it's enough to say that a very well-to-do man's little girl dies. And listen to the description in the father's voice, but listen also to to the intimacy that uh, that he has. Jesus, my little daughter, is at the point of death. What sweetness is involved there? What intimacy this father has with his little girl? When Jesus finally makes his way to her, she had moved from being very sick to having died. But his words to her match the gentleness of of the sweet father. Jesus says, uh, the gospel says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. Talitha kumi, this is the invitation. The translation of our Bible give, uh, that our Bible gives us doesn't quite convey the fullness of what the Aramaic phrase meant. There's such compassion and gentleness in this phrase as if you were waking up a sleeping child and you wanted to do it as gently as possible. Honey, it's time to wake up. This is the invitation that God speaks over each one of us. He promises to put a soft heart of Jesus within us, but we need to be willing to awaken to it. Talitha kumi, honey, it's time to wake up and let the hardness brought on by this world melt away. It's time to wake up to a soft-hearted Father in heaven who longs for nothing more than your very heart. How might you need to hear the words Talitha kumi, It's time to wake up, calling you to a a heart softened and awakened to him again. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.